Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Rethinking Rehab with Dr. Shane Smith. I'm a licensed physical therapist practicing out of Naples, Florida. I have been a physical therapist for the last 10 years, helping people get out of movement dysfunction problems and alleviate without surgery or medications their chronic or acute-based pain issues. And today's podcast, I thought I was going to tackle something head-on here today, and I wanted to make today's episode all about neck pain, why, what, and how of neck pain. So we're going to cover quite a bit today on this podcast. I want to go over some of the foundational issues with neck-based issues, why it's so tough to treat, and why your prior treatment options may not have helped you because you may have been looking in the wrong place for where the problem lies. So let's get started with the neck. It's one of the most mobile segments of our skeletal spine. It is the segment of the spine closest to our head. And because of that, it has a lot of very unique interactions with the skull. One of the things people don't really know with the structure of the neck is that there are two different joint segments to the neck. So the portion of the spine that attaches to the skull and neck, that is what we refer to as your subcranial spine. That has its own unique biomechanical movement systems just on how the base of the skull and the cervical spine interact with one another. And then the second area of structure you have going on with your neck is going to be all your vertebrae lower than the second vertebrae. So the base of your skull, your first and second vertebrae encompass what's referred to as your subcranial spine. And then from cervical vertebrae number three all the way down to seven makes up the remaining portion of your cervical spine. And it's important to know that there are two totally different ways of movement that occur in these two subsections of our, of our neck. Um, if we're talking headache issues or migraine problems, we're usually looking subcranial. Most headache migraine-based symptoms occur in a group of small muscles that attach from the base of the skull to the neck in the subcranial spine. If we're talking more neck pain, discomfort sleeping, difficulty with turning the neck full range, sharp stabbing discomfort felt in the middle of the neck, or any symptoms going down into the arms or hands, those are all going to be C3 and below. So it's important to first start thinking about your neck pain issue or problem in relation to what part of the neck is actually hurting. So if you've got more headache-based symptoms or migraines or jaw-based pain symptoms or, or, or pain felt in the, in the back of the ears, that's a common area I'll hear complaints of is it feels like it's hurting right behind my ears or right where my ears attach. Those on the skull, those areas right around the ears are where a lot of subcranial musculature as well as other neck muscles attach in at and can be problem areas. If you're experiencing numbness tingling in your little finger, your middle finger, your thumb, if you're having issues in your shoulder hurting or in your forearm, 
Those can all dictate middle to lower parts of your cervical spine, and sometimes in an area where the cervical spine meets the thoracic, we call that the CT or cervicothoracic junction, that can also be a problem area due to the fact that as you change how the spine structure is, you also change how the biomechanics move at those areas. So going back to the base of the skull, C1, C2, the way those cervical structures move is drastically different than the middle cervical spine. When you know how things are supposed to move and they're not, that gives you good indicators of where problems arise at or why certain issues haven't fully alleviated is the structure function problem hasn't been rectified just yet. A lot of times with movement-based disorders, I find a lot of muscle tightness and guarding around those areas where there's dysfunction. So sometimes just palpating, feeling on your neck for where's the tightest, most tender spots. Is it right near the base of the skull or is it in the middle of the neck? Will give you another form of knowledge of where is my problem coming from. You need to know where issues are arising from. If you don't have any idea what part of the neck is causing pain, how can we really affect effectively treat or improve something like that. So that's definitely the first thing if you're dealing with neck pain or you know somebody that's dealing with neck pain that are in a position of fear, of apprehension, of suffering because they don't know what the hell is wrong with them, it's always a good place to start where this seems like it's something in the middle of your neck bothering you or this kind of seems near the base of the skull. Those areas can help with self-care that we'll get into for fixes down the road. Uh, but it also helps us understand how we should move. Um, one of the things I find most problematic with neck pain patients, especially those that are experiencing neck pain due to a job-related task. So many neck pain patients are not those that are working construction, working painting, or doing any trades jobs that require movement throughout the day. It's typically individuals that don't move their neck much out of a static, still position throughout the day are the ones that are most plagued with neck pain. If you think about the number of joints in our neck, which is quite a few, we have two to four joints on every level. Um, when we get into the CT junction, you're getting very close into the thoracic spine, which has a lot more joints than the cervical spine does. But regardless of having multiple joints on each bony level, there can be multiple things that can get stuck or not move appropriate. And if one of your vertebrae levels is not moving appropriately, the other levels around it will move excessively to try to make up for that lack of movement. So I've seen people deal with pain because they're moving too much at a certain level, but the true root problem with their excessive mobility at that level is the fact that the one right next to it's not moving at all. So the real solution is to get the stiff segments moving and train normal movement through everything based on muscle control. Motion is lotion for our neck. Anytime we have pain or dysfunction in the neck, it's usually beneficial minus a whiplash or severe trauma to look at trying to regain some form of normal movement back into the neck. Usually we'll see this in the form of passive range or active range of motion for the neck. Typically these initial movement positions on the neck should be performed lying down so that we have no compression of gravity on the neck itself. 
sometimes with neck pain and movement. It's because something is not in the correct position moving and getting pinched. That goes down the road of a joint capsule pinch or a facet capsular entrapment. These problems can result from sleeping in an awkward position. They can result from having to have your head and neck in a funky position such as fixing something underneath the sink where you're extended and twisted in an unusual position you're normally used to. I tend to find this problem occur most regularly with people that travel and end up sleeping on a plane or in a car which doesn't allow for typically the best neck support and thus after sleeping sitting up with their head cocked to the side for a half hour they all of a sudden have this pinching sharp discomfort felt in the neck with any movement one way you'll know if sharp pain in my neck with movement is from a nerve pinch or if it's from a joint capsule pinch do you feel any symptoms down into your arm Anytime we have nerve involvement in the neck, you're going to have some affiliated nerve pain, jolt of sensation, or numbness feeling in the arm or hand. Sometimes that can be present around the shoulder if it's C5. Sometimes it can be present in the little finger if it's C7. Sometimes it can be in the middle finger if it's more a C6 issue. It really depends on what nerve is being affected in the neck. If there is just local pain in the neck without any symptoms radiating in either arm, that would denote more of a capsular pinch in the neck. Any movement at all usually does not feel good with a capsular pinch in the neck. It usually results in a lot of sharp, tense, tightening of neck muscles and tons of anxiety apprehension with movement that might worsen current pain. If you have facet issues, heat, and gentle stretching followed by range of motion laying down can be very effective to get that joint moving again. Sometimes you need actual hands-on manipulation and that can be in the form of a non-thrust mobilization technique that physical therapy is more commonly known for. Sometimes going in to see a chiropractor or an osteopath or someone that has more high velocity, low amplitude thrust training can give you a quick snap crack pop of the neck which has a ton of therapeutic benefits other than just getting the joint moving that does have a very low risk of complications and that can be a very effective way to get a neck pain issue like a facet joint that's pinched unpinched to allow for normal movement without pain again other structures that should be considered when dealing with chronic neck pain what's the health of your shoulders do you have chronic shoulder issues? Are there you know, injuries or past injuries you've had in a shoulder related to the side the neck is hurting you on? Uh, a lot of times I'll see shoulder rotator cuff tears result in a excessive use of neck muscles to raise the arm overhead because there's apprehension deep down with using shoulder muscles to do the job the shoulder should. Or there's apprehension because of fear previously felt in the shoulder with certain movements and thus the shoulder gets shut off and we try to excessively use the upper trap and neck muscles for reaching lifting related tasks which will cause further neck perpetuation. Um, I have seen patients with shoulder blade dysfunctions where their shoulder blade does not move appropriately on the rib cage as it should. Sometimes that's from tight postural muscles, sometimes that's from weak 
scapular moving muscles. Sometimes that's from nerve brain apprehension with movement due to pain that has to be normalized in a segmental way where we start moving the shoulder blade in certain planes of motion that don't hurt it and then try to move it in the plane of motion we need for the shoulder to move in and then we try to incorporate those movements together um, and doing so you usually take a lot of brain apprehension away of whether or not it's going to cause pain either in the shoulder or the neck uh, another area I would say would be the thoracic spine. So the mid-back that attaches just below the cervicothoracic, the CT junction I spoke about previously, if your mid-back is very, very stiff, which we typically see with those at desk jobs that sit and bend forward, either looking at a computer, looking at textbooks for the students out there, or those that like to read for long durations of time. If you are sitting flex forward for a long duration, those mid-back joints will bend forward, which causes a rounding of your mid-back. Over time, it can be very difficult for some of those joints in that position to downslide back where they need to be to hold your upright posture the way that it should. And thus, we deal with different dowager humps and other like hump back based positions on the mid back which i'm sure if anyone has been out and about with seniors around you will see some individuals that look like they have a hunchback of notre dame if the thoracic spine the mid back is so flexed forward because of those postural positions being held for such long periods of time it's really hard to get that stuff to move back where it's supposed to and because it's so far flexed forward there's a lot more strain put on the neck because there's no extra help with movement that occurs below it in the thoracic spine because it's locked in a flexed position all the time. So you've in theory limited any helping movement below your neck because it is so stiff that you're causing excessive movement through the joints in the neck which can result in further irritation of muscles, joints, and potentially sometimes disc and nerve related problems. Going a step further, sometimes lumbar, low back related problems can affect the neck. If I am unable to sit with my pelvis in the correct position in a seat, I then have to round my low back, which then causes me to naturally round my mid back, and I'm then flexing the thoracic spine to the max again, and I'm requiring all movement to occur through the neck. These long holding positions that are out of what we call spinal neutral, which spinal neutral is more referring to a position your spine naturally wants to be in, in a standing position. Um, that's our typical go-to for any spinal-based positioning is what is standing posture look like. That's what everything is intended to be based off of, is what's comfort for my spine while I'm standing. And that requires a slight lordosis in the low back, as well as a slight cervical lordosis and a thoracic kyphosis, which just really talks about this, the curved shape. With the neck and the low back, we want the open sides of the C to be facing backwards, whereas you'd want the open sides of a C curve to be facing forward in the thoracics. So each opposite C curve helps balance the other one. And if our low back C curve is totally flat and our mid back C curve is bent the wrong way in flexion, then we are going to deal with abnormalities and structural problems at the neck that require addressing changes to the other areas of the spine 
or sometimes the shoulder blade to allow for the neck's structure to move the way that it should. And unless you get some of those structural things addressed, I don't care how much soft tissue work you do, you're always going to deal with perpetual pain coming back because the structural causes of it aren't ever addressed. It's only the symptoms felt from those structural changes. Some people have a hard time maintaining these improvements with structure, such as holding a good sitting posture or improving our standing posture because we don't have adequate strength in our bodies to maintain those positions. And I think the biggest falsity I hear most regularly with neck pain patients is that every time I've tried to strengthen my neck and shoulders, it just makes my neck pain worse. I always tell them, then why are you starting strengthening where it hurts? Why don't you strengthen the supporting structures around where it hurts, where it doesn't bother you to exercise and see where that leads you before you go down the road of trying to strengthen that side neck or that upper trap that is where pain is felt. One of my favorite things to go to is core engagement for better lumbar and pelvic positioning when sitting or standing. I feel that getting the base of the skull, or excuse me, the base of the sacrum and the attachment area to the lumbar spine corrected when there is neck pain is usually pain-free to do. Normally, I don't see talking about sitting posture with the pelvis or core engagement to maintain correct sitting or standing pelvic posture to negatively affect the neck at all. And in some regards, the fact that you're doing something positive for the neck without having any pain in, in ensuing by doing that gives people more confidence like, okay, I can actually do this because it's not hurting. You take somebody with neck pain and start saying do chin tucks and neck extension based movements, which both are beneficial for neck strength which most neck pain patients have weakness in their neck. That's why it becomes chronic because the structures of your head and neck are too heavy or, or hard to hold up with the current muscular strength level you have. But if we can improve the pelvis positioning, we can improve the core engagement. If we can then maybe touch a little bit on our shoulder blade positioning that haven't caused the neck muscles to move or have to do anything, we're now already halfway to what we need to have for the neck to actually feel better. And we've done all of that without causing the neck to be pissed off at all. I find more often than not, the neck feels better in the position we put it in after correcting the lumbar spine, the pelvic positioning and sitting, as well as the shoulder blades being back and down with low trap engagement, which then will naturally cause your upper traps to disengage. So by addressing all the other postural problems of the spine that may be present, everybody's slightly different with the quantity and the amount of these issues that cause the neck pain, but there's always something like this present with everybody. Um, you are giving them hope that their problems will be solved and they can do it in a lot less painful way than they thought. Most people with neck pain that have dealt with it for over a year have gone to see multiple people and haven't had any benefit. Sometimes just a worsening in overall pain is felt after care. So what the heck's the point in going back to see that Cairo that every time I get my neck adjusted seems to just hurt more after the adjustment than it did before. It starts to become counterproductive to do that. So why don't we address things that we know aren't going to cause issues to build up the neck the way it needs to be built up without causing it pain. So those would be some other areas when looking at neck pain to consider. 
Now the fix is the important part that most people that are going to spend the time to listen to this podcast want to know, how can I fix my neck pain? So we're going to start with your posture. When you sit, you should feel your sits bones. So when you're sitting down in your seat, the ischial tuberosities are the lower parts of your pelvis where your hamstrings attach. They're on the bottom of your butt. They're near the area where your glute fold or your gluteal fold is located. You will feel a hard bone right there. There's one on each side of our pelvis. I had a, uh, therapist I worked with years ago that used to refer to these as your sits bones. And I always laughed at thinking of them as sits bones, but it's the perfect description for them. They should be the bones when you're sitting, you feel on your seat. If you are sitting and not feeling your sits bones, your ischial tuberosities, your pelvis is in the wrong position when you're sitting. And that is foundationally vastly important for correcting a neck or a low back problem sitting. So most people that have poor pelvic positioning sitting slump. And when they slump, what they're gonna feel more pressure on is their sacrum. So if you kind of go just north of your butt crack, right there is a hard bone where your spine and your pelvis meet. It's called your sacrum. And I find a lot of people slouch and sacral sit. They have pressure on their sacrum when they shouldn't. There should only be pressure in your seat where your ischial tuberosities are. And just by maintaining or changing that pelvic position will totally change the rest of the alignment of your spine when you're sitting. Once we get your sits bones underneath you, then we start thinking about what abdominal muscles do I need to engage or turn on to maintain that pelvic position while I'm sitting. And that goes into some core strength. So that goes into abdominal strengthening and different lumbopelvic stabilization exercises to build that up. Uh, my wife was successful with improving in this area of her sitting with a desk job uh, by using a ball chair. So by sitting on a unstable surface, something that's not going to be just easily there for you, you challenge your brain and your muscles to control that region better. So if you're feeling better upon sitting the appropriate way with your ischial tuberosities on the seat without the sacrum touching the seat, and you find yourself after a few minutes rotated back in the pelvis to where your back sacral is sitting, Recorrect, try to tighten the tummy to hold where you need to, and then re reassess. If you keep falling out of that position, it's because you don't have the strength and endurance to hold it for the duration you need. Um, those situations can be benefited substantially by something called a lumbar roll. So if you look into pillow supports for your low back or just getting a towel rolled up and putting it in the low part of your back, kind of just above where your waistband would be, that should be the region of your low back that needs to have a little bit of a C curve or a low dosis to it. If you put a rolled up towel or a small pillow in that region of your low back, it will also auto-correct where your pelvis should be placed in space. Now, I always prefer to try to do this without that if you can, but I would say if you're fatiguing and having a difficulty after a period of time sitting, maybe for a half hour, maintaining that sacral sitting position, or excuse me, ischial tubes, not the sacrum on the seat, you may need some external help like a lumbar roll or a towel rolled up in the low back region to help 
your body for the first few months get used to holding that same position when sitting. The next thing to look at after you go past the pelvis and the low back is going to be looking at scapular setting. So our shoulder blades should slide down and back towards our spine almost like two sticks of butter melting closing together. Um, with the trapezius muscle, which attaches to the base of our skull. The upper trap is always the one everyone complains is always so tight causing their neck pain. And then you have the middle and the lower trapezius. So there's two other segments of this upper portion that can help inhibit the upper trap. So one way you can improve the tightness of your upper trap is to think about shoulder blades squeezing together and down a little bit. Now, anytime we're doing scapular squeezes, we can do it two ways. We can think about tightening the maximum amount our body allows and holding just for a count of five and then relaxing off of it and doing that for repetitions, maybe 10 to 20 times with those five second holds periodically throughout the day. That would be an exercise to help with overall strengthening of your low mid trap in a correct posture position. The other route you can go is by just engaging the muscles, feeling them turned on, but trying to hold it for time. This is gonna be a better activity or a progression if you're unable to do this one. Start with the first one where you hold it for just a count of five and then relax. Once that's easy, then we go into scapular squeezes but with about a 50% maximal muscle activation. It's just enough to feel the muscles turned on, not, a month, not enough to really fatigue out from it. And we just try to hold that for time. You know, Start with a minute hold, advance to five minutes, and try to get to 10 or 15 minutes. If you are struggling with endurance with the shoulder blade squeezes, there are external devices out there that are straps you can wear underneath your clothing that will actually pull your shoulder blades back and down for you to mimic this movement the mid and, and lower trap can do and should do for you. But if it's early phases, I know my shoulder blades always round forward and I get in this terrible posture midway through the day, well, try to work on it the best you can through the morning when you feel like you're losing this battle. Put the straps on, tighten it up to give you some external support of where my shoulders should be in space. I also am a bigger fan of heat than I am for ice when it comes to neck pain. Um, I feel that a lot of neck pain is related to stiffness of the spine and or muscle tightness in the neck, both of which benefit from heat. Recent studies I've read show that the only reason we should ice is post-surgery when it's very inflamed, or if you can feel a throbbing heartbeat in the area that hurts. If you're getting a throbbing pain felt, that's a severe inflammatory reaction, and, and lots of inflammation do better with ice. However, what ice will do is constrict blood vessels, which we know gives us a lot of the nutrients needed for healing. So you're numbing something, limiting the pain, but you're also pausing, slowing the inflammatory process, which is truly what is needed for healing. Uh, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So there are moments in time like post-surgery where you've got a ton of inflammation from the operation that you need to control that so it's manageable. Um, those would be the instances that I would recommend ice. Ice should only be used for 15 to 20 minutes maximum uh, and then about a half hour without any ice. You don't want to cause any burning or um, 
other skin related problems like uh, a freezer burn that you can get if you keep ice on an area too long. Not to mention if you fall asleep with ice on and your tissue gets so cold that your body thinks it's going into hypothermia, you will worsen all your inflammatory responses noticeably if you do do that. So heat is always a good option. Um, I always say it should be warm enough that it feels comfortable but not so hot that you feel like you're burning. Um, so for some people getting electric heating pad that they can alter the the heat intensity is a good option. If you do go with a moist heat, like um, you know something that you heat up in the microwave, just make sure you got some layers in between your skin and that heat so that it doesn't burn you. That's obviously something that can be very problematic. With anti-inflammatories, those can be helpful temporarily for pain relief. So if you're looking at, I have a tough time getting through my day with without these pain meds, um, I understand that. I'm not telling you not to take them. I would tell you that you shouldn't be taking pain meds more than a week or two after an injury. If you're two plus weeks and you're still requiring pain meds just to get through the workday, then there's other things that need to be addressed with what's going on. Um, two weeks is roughly the time period I give patients for general natural healing processes. If you're two to four weeks since injury and you're still dealing with a lot of discomfort, I think that's the time where you've got to consider going to somebody professionally and having them address your issues and determining if the root cause of your neck pain is truly a structural muscular movement problem in the neck or is there another factor that's not being addressed, that's not being treated, and thus is a reason you're not getting results that you should. You know, one thing to think about, we have been on this planet as humans a very long time, and healthcare like this or, you know, treatments, injections, surgeries, things of that nature have only been around for so long, and people have been able to get over ailments as long as time has been going on for. So there is a high perpetual ability for the body to naturally heal as long as it's directed in the right way. Um, most people are more apprehensive and more resistive to any normal movement after an injury, which usually that's one of the things I try to get people back to as well. So if you're a couple weeks out after a neck injury and you're starting to feel a little bit better, just certain things hurt you, that's a good time to start pushing more normal movement. Um, that's a good time to start looking at general strength of the neck. Uh, shoulder strength, um, that's another one. When we look at the upper trap, you know, that's the muscle that most people complain and, and point the finger at and say, this is the bad guy in my body that's causing all my headache, that's causing all my neck pain, that's affecting me when I read, that affects me at my working place, at my job. I can't be on the computer like I normally am because of these upper trap tightness. If I could just get rid of the upper trap tightness, I'd be fine. And for a small subgroup of individual out there, I do feel that there is some honesty and reality in an upper trap release with cupping, with instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization, with dry needling, those things, stretching, they can all have a really positive input for a tight upper trap. I just don't think there's that much upper trap strengthening or that much upper trap overuse. Very, very few neck patients I see complain that, gosh, all weekend I was doing nothing but overhead lifting, and now this upper trap is really bugging me. I mean, most neck patients would, would shudder at the thought of having to do overhead lifting repetitively, uh, let alone with anything of any substantial weight. So most of the upper trap problems I do not think are from overuse. I think they're from underuse. And that is actually an exercise regimen I've gone much more commonly with my chronic neck pain patients or 
patients that are dealing with hand and arm symptoms from the neck that I think is due to weakness in the neck itself is that we're doing a lot of overhead reaches, a lot of shoulder presses, a lot of things that get the shoulder muscles working, but also secondarily affect the upper traps. Because if we can have upper traps that are stronger, I don't think they get overworked as easily and feel so tight all the time because of being overworked and understrengthened. These are all things you won't typically see or hear online regarding neck pain, but they all play a major part and need to be addressed in symptoms, outcome options. <clears throat> so remember, where is it hurting me at? Is it the middle of the neck? Is it the base of the skull? There are totally different movement patterns for the neck in those two regions. Motion is lotion for my body. The more that I can move normally with minimal discomfort, the better I will overall be, as well as my neck pain may not all be coming from the neck itself. There could be shoulder dysfunction. There could be mid-back, low-back, pelvic-based positioning problems that are resulting in excessive push-pull irritation through the neck because of the areas of the body I just mentioned. And unless you can get a medical professional that can address some of those areas or connect dots to other problems you have, your neck pain symptoms won't fully alleviate. You'll deal with hopeful good days, hopeful bad days. So you really got to get those root causes figured out and get back to a normal movement and a normal strengthening regimen to really alleviate your neck issues. If you're in Naples and you got these problems, I'm more than happy to help you with them. Overall, I hope this podcast was informative, helpful, got your mind thinking a little bit about your neck and your neck pain, and realize that this doesn't have to be with you forever. I have so many people that get out of chronic neck pain they've had for years or decades based on addressing some of these really important features. That's all I've got for today. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Enjoy your fall weather changing wherever you may be at listening. I know we're getting into October and at least down in South Florida where I'm at, that usually means a cut to the humidity and hopefully less hurricanes right around the corner. Thanks again, everybody. Stay healthy and happy out there.